Our world started with a data explosion marked by an exponential growth in the volume, velocity, and variety of data being piped in and out of organizations. However, despite this new wealth in technology and data, businesses had never been so challenged to drive revenue growth, plagued by dark, siloed, unusable data, rendering their go-to-market motions useless. Until one day, the most courageous data heroes took back control of their company's most valuable asset transforming their customer data sets from a burden to a true system of insight, capable of automating sales motions, delivering personalized marketing programs at scale, and driving predictable revenue growth for their business. Welcome to the Data Heroes podcast powered by Ringlead. All right, welcome everybody to today's podcast, Talk Data to Me. We've got an amazing guest with us, a two-time and recently awarded a Marketo champion. It's Andy Karen. Andy works at Revenue Pulse as the head of MarTech Consulting, and we're just really happy to have you today, Andy. Excited to be here. Yeah, so, you know, we usually start off the interview process with just kind of asking about you and how your journey kind of formulated into becoming this data, you know, hero or data superstar? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I was almost kind of born and raised to be in this position. It just took me a long time to, to find the fit. Um, so my dad um, actually uh, qualified uh, for MIT, ended up not being able to go for a variety of reasons. But um, post that, uh, went into mechanics and engineering. Uh, he raced Formula Continental cars in California and built all his own cars. So that engineering component of the the brain and the spirit was very present in, in my upbringing. And on the flip side, my mom was a photographer. So both the science of that and also the artistry of it. And so finding something that blended that very analytical and creative uh, component, you know, together in me was definitely something I was, I was always looking for. Um, and when I found Marketo, um, honestly, I just kind of latched onto it, um, maybe harder than I should have, but, you know, pry it from my cold dead fingers if you can kind of thing. Um, and that was back in 2012. And, and I've been in the platform in a variety of ways ever since. And um, it's, it's my happy place. So... Yeah, that's amazing. Um, we have all sorts of different stories, but an engineering background uh, it is always a nice, you know, or family background is always a nice thing to have in your in your rev ops professional because you know things get so complex, and it seems like you're, you're always doing critical thinking and applying, you know, um, the best logical answers, and sometimes not like the best workaround <laughs> answers. Yeah, the most illogical but appropriate response is X, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, you know, if you weren't doing RevOps, marketing ops, what would you be doing? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, I was talking about this the other day with my husband, actually, and uh, we were kind of laughing because I kind of feel by no means am I on the same level at all, but like a little bit like Sherlock where he always said, I could have either been the greatest detective in the world or the greatest criminal. And um, I, I'm worried that did I not have, you know, the 
productive, constructive outlet of Marketo that I might be a more nefarious individual. I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably nowhere good. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, you know, it, with your use of Marketo, I mean, there, you can be uh, have a, a ton of different personas as a, as a user of Marketo. And it's kind of wondering... Where do you kind of typically find yourself? Are you helping more with demand generation or life cycle management or, or you know, scoring? Like, or, or are you just a little bit of everything? I cover all of it, um, but usually from one central touch point. And that touchstone for me really is um, what is doing it this way versus that way versus this other way going to do to the data down funnel. That's always where I'm coming at things from. Um, you know, yes, we can send out this email, but are we tracking it correctly so that we have the data that we'll want and need about it later? Yes, we can run a webinar, but you know, if we're not actually tracking who attends or we're not using the correct statuses or thinking about how the data flows from Marketo into your CRM, for example, Salesforce, and onto a campaign member, and from there being extrapolated out into revenue reporting, it's going to get really messed up, right? If we're not accounting for the fact that like touch point date timestamps are impacted by when they're actually added to the SFDC campaign potentially. So how do you think about that with events, which obviously not as prominent right now, um, but in the past, you know, when you're uploading a list, is that actually the day the engagement occurred? Or are you going to be stealing credit essentially away from something that might be a generator of revenue or people by just the, the sheer fact that your process doesn't align with when the engagement occurred, things like that um, tend to be really where I, I focus, um, whether it's sending out an email or, you know, standing up a, a new Marketo instance from the ground up. That's pretty awesome. So um, you've been, you mentioned in Marketo since 2012 and, you know, data has changed, I think, a lot since 2012 yeah. and like what you can do with data. So just in your experience, like when you first started out on this journey into where you are now, how is this data landscape changing and, and helping or hurting clients to be able to do better marketing? Yeah. So I think I'm going to actually start with the end of that question and then move backward. When I first got into Marketo, it was all about the program. It was a person source was associated with whether or not a white paper or webinar brought them in, not whether it was Google or what have you, right, further up funnel. And so it was more simplistic. It wasn't as informed. It wasn't as deep, I think, on the data that you could get, especially from like a B2B perspective. Um, and it wasn't as integrated across so many different channels and platforms and tools that people are using. The connectivity wasn't there. So you had the data you had and you did the best you could with it, right? And as the evolution toward this incredibly complex and almost overwhelming MarTech landscape has evolved and we've seen the capability to track interaction literally to the inception point of when they find the brand, regardless of whether that ties to their actually becoming known on that particular visit or a year later, right? Um, it means now that the type of data that we're looking at, even when you think about person source, I'm not going to say it's a webinar anymore. I want to say how they got to the webinar. I want to say how they got to the brand the very first time, 10 visits before they finally signed up for the webinar. 
And so the complexity there and the tools that go along with that complexity are boggling, right? So many of them have so much data and it can be so black box, especially where you're working with a very lean team. They don't know necessarily what they're even looking at, how to interpret it. Um, it's, it's almost too much to digest. And even if you can manage to parse it out, there's still the, what does this actually tell me? What actionable items do I actually have off of this data? Which is interesting and maybe somewhat informative, but it's not decision driving. And unless you have someone in your organization that knows how to tackle that and take that on, I think a lot of companies buy technology and expect it to do it for them, and then it doesn't happen, and they don't have someone either in-house or out-house, that out of, out of house, out-house, that's not a good name, word, um, they don't have someone either in-house or, you know, externally that can help them navigate that landscape. And so they either don't use the tool, and then they feel like it wasn't the right tool for them, or they um, are using the tool, but only, you know, they could be doing what they're doing on a bicycle, and they bought a Ferrari, right? So I think that there's so much more you can do now, but the possibilities also can be somewhat limiting because you have to be able to actually do those things. And it's a, it's a small niche community who actually knows those tools and knows how to do that and, and can translate those things. Um, and even then, it's still got a little bit of the like, soothsayer casting of the bones, if I read the data correctly, it's telling me that we should spend more money in channel Y, right? Like it's, it's, it's still not a perfect science. And there's also not full connectivity across most of the attribution platforms between what's happening really, really, really top of funnel and down. So if you go in and you look at the Google Analytics and you're saying, well, these are the total number of visitors I have. There's not a connection point between that and what you're seeing for actual form fills because there isn't, I haven't, I've yet to discover a platform that natively combines that data into a unified view that really allows you to understand that really, really top of level down conversion as, as it occurs in most brands. It's just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you bring up a, a lot of good points in that answer. And one of them is, First off, maintaining a single profile of a person as they engage with your brand. And I think um, so that you can learn from them, take action from start to finish. And I think that's become a challenge because you mentioned connectivity, right? Now you've got Salesforce or whatever other systems. And when data syncs from a Salesforce or another system into Marketo, it does funny things like bypass the email duplicate match and you know, other things that yep. create, um, you know, a segmentation of a profile into multiple profiles. And it's like, it can be debilitating. Um, and so, like, what do you guys recommend, you know, to, to make sure that somebody who's running Marketo has a single profile of an individual from start to finish of the engagement? Yeah, I mean, I think you can either, you know, have an intern who's going to be diligently merging people in, or you can employ a technology that will police and, and use smart rules to merge the people that should be unified as a single individual. And also don't delete leads out of Salesforce and not in Marketo because you will have orphans that you can never Orphans. <laughs> yeah, you know, you also made another 
point about the community, right? Like I see the community expanding like exponentially. Yeah. However, I also am in boardrooms where they're like, hey, this tool is expensive. Like we're not getting enough out of it. And it's like, well, you have to find these individuals or these groups of people that really understand Marketo. And then they can incorporate additional individuals to be point producers. But like, if you don't have that, that knowledge base that it's taken you, I mean, what it's 2021 now, nine years of studying the system to get to the point where you're at. But I mean, that knowledge, it, it, it incorporated the right way, put into the right organization can literally double or triple your sales. Like it's, it's a yeah. huge skill. It is. And I mean, I think part of it is there are so many people that know the tool and don't necessarily have the certifications or haven't expanded or explored that area as fully. Um, there are only, I think God, it's like 4,000 people globally that have their MCE. It's really small number. Right. And when you think about the number of companies that are using tools like Marketo versus the number of people that can at least prove that they're an expert, um, there is a disparity. And I think that's why you see a lot of the consultancies like where I am springing up, because instead of being with one company and helping just one company be successful, I can touch 10, 15, 20, 30 companies over the space of a year or however long um, to help kind of reset their compass and get they're bearing in the landscape and then they can go from there or I can stay and, you know, actually like guide them along the trail, whatever that, that needs to look like for them or what they can do. But, you know, I don't think it takes nine years to become an expert in Mercado. Um, I've been in the tool for nine years. I, I, I think about it a little bit differently now than I did several years before and years before that. But I think that, you know, I've seen people really dig in on the tool and really master it and, and they've done it in six months in a year. And, no one will ever know everything about Marketo. There's like one person I can think of that maybe does. But like anyone who tells you they know everything about Marketo is either lying to you or lying to themselves because there's constantly a process of discovery of new things, new co- new capabilities, new facets, new releases that come into the tool um, that you uncover as you work inside of it. And so, you know, knowing that you are, yeah, you're seeing the community as an expert, you're, but you're constantly a student of the tool and you're learning new, better ways to do things inside of there, I think is, is really important. Um, but the community is also the strength of the tool, right? The capability to go in and post the most random, potentially stupid, I just need help question inside of the community and have 5, 10, 15 people who will jump up and be like, yep, I've, I've handled that. I've dealt with this. Here's, you know, some, some things to think about. And here's some other things to factor in as well while you're thinking about those things. And it's so unique, I think, this community of, of nerds that's grown up around this tool, right? Um, and we nurture and foster it, and it nurtures and fosters us. But I think the thing that is most interesting about what you were saying was this idea, um, mar- marketing has moved from being a perceived cost center inside of a business to being a revenue producer. But that also means that all of the tools that they're using come under inspection as well for where's the ROI for that tool. And the reality is to do marketing in today's world, there are certain tools you just have to have. A marketing automation platform, whether it's Marketo or something else, is as necessary to running your business as having an office was pre-pandemic. It's, it's just a physical 
space that has to exist in order for you to make business happen. And so it's not necessarily going to be ROI producing, but what you're going to be able to do because you have it is going to be exponential, even if you can't tie the dollar amount back to it, right? The things that happen organically when you're in office in a meeting space don't necessarily happen online in the same way that the things that you can do and execute and discover and create inside of Marketo wouldn't happen without marketing automation. They just wouldn't. I love that point. Yeah, it's like it, it's it's as it's to a business as an office was ten years ago. It completely right. is. And I, you know, you're in a unique position actually because, like you said, you have to learn from some really great people and in this community now. You're in a consulting world where you get to help a lot of different companies at the same time. So I'm guessing, and I ask the same question to everybody. It's like, hey, everybody wants to do ABM, especially, you know, B2B. If you're in B2C, I I would say neighborhood, you know, ABM neighborhood or demos still works. But um, I think ABM and and just targeting is is really the, 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 kind of the, the fundamental of this whole process. Like, how do you actually make sure you're targeting the right companies, the right people at those companies? And so everybody's got a different formula for finding ideal profiles at the account or person level. I'm wondering if you have seen with all this access to these different types of orgs, like what, what works? Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of organizations rely on third-party tools that can algorithmically spit out what is going to be a good target for them. And that's one way to go about it. If you have confidence in the tool and you feel like you have enough of a data pool to build a model off of, it's not a bad way to go, right? There are some things that just make more sense to outsource. I personally, even with a mechanic for a father, I'm not going to fix my car. I'm going to take it to somebody who knows how to fix cars to fix the car, right? And so there are specialized tools and, and roles out there because of that, right? And, and MOFS is no different. Um, but if you're running with a very lean budget, with a very you know simplistic organization where you have to do a lot with a little... There's native functionality inside of Marketo that allows you to do these types of things. Um, typically, if I'm building out a, um, you know, ICP model inside of scoring for the demographic component, I'm using a combination of different segmentations. So to say, okay, here's a, a cross-section of our entire database based on whether they fit criteria one, two, three, four, five, and those are, you know, organized in, in prioritized based on certain criteria. And so they can only fit in one segmentation, right? And then I group those segmentations into literally just standard, good old, old school A through F gradation, right? So what group of segmentations is an A? Like I absolutely want to talk to them. And then I blend that all together. And I think that's the thing that, that not everybody does is they'll just say, okay, so they're a VP, so they get 20 points. And then they're at a company that doesn't matter, so they get zero points. Well, no, they should probably actually get 10 points. That person should be a C if those are the two things you're grading on, right? So blending it together to produce a final rank for where they fit against the entirety of the ICP, I think is the final 
component that's really important. And in a lot of the scoring that I do, I try to blend that together just in one score. So it is an A and then it's, you know, extremely engaged. It's a B and it's extremely engaged, right? Those are different components that can be married together. And then I can use a floodgate system to allow people through. But you have to know who you are and who you're selling to and who your business is. If you're buckshot spaghetti against the wall, just trying to test it out, then, you know, you're going to have to spend some time gathering data before you can actually build that model to say, this is my ICP. Because sometimes you think you know who you're selling to, and then you find out that there's a whole component of the business that you didn't even realize is ultimately the decision maker or the person that's actually opening the door for you to have an opportunity there in the first place. Yeah, I I find that where customers kind of get um, they get kind of con- not confused, but like stuck at the point of gathering the data because there's so many options out there and every company's different. Like some will sell to healthcare or others will be like eight, you know, K through 12 and then others are selling to fortune 500. And so, um, you know, we actually created an exchange that w- where you can search cat- cat- a catalog to find vendors that meet certain attribute or coverage maps, right? Yeah. So like to me, I've bought a lot of data in my life and I never really like buying it. I have to go read Quora and LinkedIn and like blog articles and surf through yeah. like 30 ads from different companies before I think I've found what I want. Like how do you make or help customers or or what have you found if there's like a go-to source or, or a go-to process for figuring out if there's a third party source that's right to, to fit this ICP model to help with your analysis. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when you're talking about just starting from scratch and you don't have data to analyze and so you're looking to, to just build something new, right? Um, you're going to have to A, B, A, B, C, A, B, C, D test, right? A lot of the... Now, I'm not a huge advocate for purchasing lists because often the ROI on them is really low in the long run. But um, I think that there are methodologies you can use to test them out. And it doesn't include emailing them, which in a lot of regions is not, you know, legal anymore anyway. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite functionalities is native inside of Marketo for this purpose. I take a purchase list. I put it in and make sure everyone's marketing suspended. They're not going to get stuff from us. These, these aren't people that have opted in, right? And then I sync them over via AdBridge um, in Marketo into whatever ad network I want to do. And I target them there and I see what comes back, right? Because that tells me out of the list, who is responding to the messaging that I'm putting out there. And that also tells me, if there's a certain subsection or industry or sub-industry that didn't respond, was it because they aren't interested in what we do? Or is it because the messaging that we were using on the ad networks to target them just didn't speak to them? It wasn't their language, right? So there's always correlation there and you have to be able to play within that. But if you're A-B testing your audience and then also A-B testing or A-B, C-D, E-F-G testing your messaging, it's going to help you start to narrow in on what works and who works. And once you have that, you can take that sub list of people that did work, right, and potentially push it back into the same ad network and build a lookalike list off of it to start identifying people that you don't have to purchase that are companies that you've probably never heard of 
who've never showed up on your radar, you haven't shown up on theirs, but suddenly you're able to present yourself potentially in front of them in a way that is more organic than just buying a list and being like, hey, somebody gave me your name and I think we'd get along. Like, you know, that that doesn't jive anymore. So Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and, and a lot of times when I bring up like enriching data, I think the first thing we all think about is like, well, contacts. But I felt yeah. like, you know, when we first hired BDRs, like, I don't know, I've been at Ringley for 11 or 12 years. And, you know, we had all these inbound leads we'd never heard of. And like, wow, we, you know, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Yeah. And to us, it's B2B. So like, I don't really care about the job title. I really, as a sales rep, I'm like, well, the first thing I look at when I get a lead is I'm like, well, is this a good company? <laughs> and, and so like the, the, when I, then I, I do a lot of interviews with um, Marketo admins as well. And you're one of the, the few who should be like, I, I mesh demographic, which is, or firm, it could be firmographic and demographic. Yeah. Or, or, the or behavior, in right? general, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, you know, there's two problems I see with scoring leads in Marketo. One is when I get leads, I never ask somebody how big their business is and they're like, any of that stuff. And then, yeah. you know, if, if I have to then find the right vendors to give me that information so I can actually apply a demographic score. And then the second is the leads in a marketing system are not leads, they're persons. And they don't have account association. So now I've got a problem where, like, I can't get the account data because I don't have it on the lead. And then I can't just link it to my account in Salesforce to get the account data on the lead. So, like, I got to go out and find it and buy it and or or figure out how to link it to the account object where my dnb or my zoom info or whatever is like filling the data in so like how do you help companies solve those two problems of like hey we we know what a good company is but it's in about we have about 10 percent fill rate on that field in Mar marketo yeah um so typically when i'm working on building any sort of demographic model one of the things that i always check is what's your data fill rate on that field it's lovely that you want to use this field, but guess what? It's only publicly released for companies that have to release that information, and you're not going to find it on anything that's, for example, not on the stock market. And so if that's the case, and 90% of the people that you're selling to are not publicly traded companies, then you don't want that field as part of your ICP because you're never going to have the data you need to fill it in, right? And so, um, you know, there are some data enrichment platforms out there that are reliant on the email address. And if they can match against it, they'll add whatever data they have. Those can be useful. Um, it also is how you structure and set up the relationship between Marketo and your CRM. So, you know, you have the choice and it used to be the fashion to withhold leads inside of Marketo and only pass them over when they were sales ready or almost sales ready or what have you, right? So therefore, if your enrichment's happening in Salesforce, it's not happening until that point. So then how do you make the decision? It's like such a chicken egg question, right? But the reality is for attribution and other tools that are out there, the person needs to be in Salesforce as soon as you know that they're viable, meaning that they have an email address that you can deliver to. And that's, that's the, the literally base level of viability required for that. Because then they can think over on the campaign member object, you have those correct time date stamps that occur in their journey across there. Now, if you choose to make them visible or not inside of Salesforce to your sales team, that's a whole other conversation, but they need to be in there, right? 
Some companies don't even use the lead component. They just immediately sync it to the account because if it's in there and you can match it against the account, put it over there because otherwise the salesperson is not fully informed on the, the fact that there are people in the database that don't align with the account or that do align with the account you're trying to call on that aren't there, right? So, you know, the way in which you utilize both the native functionality of, let's say, Salesforce and also ways that you can architect around what maybe Salesforce intended, but how your business actually works are going to make the difference um, between a system that works and a system that doesn't. The more open your systems are, the more communication that's flowing back and forth between them. And the earlier that you provide that lead, the ability to then be in other systems that can enrich it, enhance it, you know, help the entire process, the better off you'll be. Yeah, I think you just brought up a conversation of my that I have all the time. I want to like rip the band-aid off. Like you said it with authority. You're like, listen, the minute you know it's a good email, it goes into Salesforce. And that doesn't mean it has to be distributed to a rep. It can go into a permission-based marketing queue where now you have a whole Salesforce ecosystem. Like look at the Salesforce app exchange. There's like 7,000 yeah. connected apps that could be working on that data, there's about 200 on the market <laughs> launch point. So like the fact of the yeah. matter is that there are analytics tools, there are distribution tools, there are links, so enrichment, yeah. everything. So I think yeah. that marketers are, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm talking like the biggest Marketo implementations, the, the most, the, the most kind of respected ones, they all do it. They're not holding back a ton of data from Salesforce because they know, but but then yeah. I, I find newer users who are like, hey, you know, the best practice is we got to hold it back here until and, and I'm trying to educate the other way. So to have yeah. that validation from you, I mean, you know, what I are think some shifting with with the focus from marketing and sales to just revenue, right? The more revenue as a department, uh, as a function exists within companies, the more alignment there is. And it's less about, well, what if they do something I don't want them to with my lead? Or what if they have leads that we want to be selling to that they're not giving us? It's like, no, it's just one unified thing. We're all working together. It's a handshake, like no sides, no credit, no nothing. Like we're all rowing together, right? I completely, it's it's one of those things you can totally align sales and marketing. And and again, you don't have to give the permission to the sales user. And by the way, yeah. Salesforce doesn't charge for storage this way that Marketo does. So I think a right. big a big reason in a lot of the, like the Marketo admins' minds that don't is they think it's going to be costly, but it's it's really not costly to sink a ton of leads into a queue in Salesforce that has you know not a the ton of reverse can be costly. There are some exactly. scenarios where you have a Salesforce database. And the component of it doesn't need to be in Marketo, which you can do. There, you have to be very careful about it. But like, there are use cases for that that I would fully support. I say this makes sense. Um, but yeah, if it's in if it's in Marketo, and it doesn't say test test dot test test at test test dot com, then it should it should be in Salesforce. That's awesome. So um, before we jump more into aligning sales and marketing, I love that topic, but. Um, Marketo is a great company. I've been to every summit for like the last eight or nine years. And yeah. remember when they used to be at the Hilton, you know, up yep. the road from the Moscone? And I must have passed you at some point during one of those. Yeah. Like eight <laughs> booths in the middle there. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is such an amazing community. It's an agree. It's a great brand. I, I love the tool, but I'm always interested to hear from somebody that has your level of, you know, accolades in the system. It, it took you time. It took you energy. It took decisions to choose that platform to personally brand yourself around. Like, why did you decide to brand yourself around Marketo? Yeah. So Marketo was not the first marketing automation tool that I used, and it's not the last that I've used. Um, I've been inside of Acton. I've been inside of HubSpot. I've been, you know, in different platforms out of either curiosity or necessity or because that's what I was hired to do, right? Um, I think the thing for me at the time that uh, the decision to go with Marketo was made with the company, I was definitely a driving force behind that. I'd been there two years already. Um, we'd been with another platform for six months and, and we were ready for something more robust. And so at the time, and this again, 2012, uh, I did a full market assessment and I was most impressed with Marketo and Elqua for fairly obvious reasons, but I'm not a coder. So right out the gate for me, especially at that time, Eloqua was not an option, right? Because we weren't going to hire someone to come in um, and and be, uh, you know, that that arm of it. We needed a platform that one person could run. And the fact that Marketo makes itself accessible and thinks the way that coders do, but does it in a way that, um, you know, an end user who isn't can can grasp it, can own it, can run with it. And then if you do, you know have that additional skill set, there are other functions and capabilities inside the system that you can also build on top of um, that are really cool. But it, it's built to think the way that a marketer thinks, right? And there are definitely some things about it that still think the way that the marketers thought maybe back in 2012 when I was first using it. And those are some of the things that are being updated and changed and, and migrated around. But, um, you know, I think the reason that I invested so heavily in my own personal development in Marketo was just that when I was in there, I was happy. And if you find something that you love to do, like I know my parents, you know, they both had things that they loved and they got to do what they loved. But most of their generation found something they didn't hate and that was a good job, right? Mm. And so our standards today are something that you like or something that you love or something that you're passionate about, which is a great goal to have, but also not very realistic. And I just happen to be one of the few people that actually found somewhat something that like I really love doing. And so I, I feel really, really blessed with that. Um, but for me, it was never, is it going to be Marketo or something else? It was, I've been in this platform now for three years, I'm ready to take a new step, leave this organization, go elsewhere. And I actually went out of Marketo. And I just felt like I had handcuffs on the whole time. There were so many things that I, I could do in, in my previous platform that I couldn't do in the new one. And um, I did an assessment because we actually had nine implementations of this other tool and realized that we could be, because it multiple domains, which mm-hmm. they couldn't support, realized that we could be using Marketo. I, I looked at all the platforms because I didn't want to be like, well, Marketo is the ticket, you know, and realized that we could save $40,000 by switching, right? And at that point, they were like, no, I'm good. We're going to say where we're at. And I went and found another company that was using Marketo that needed a Marketo expert because that was where I could be useful and also happy. Um, and that's just persisted. and 
I started to move into more of a leadership role in uh, 2018. I took on a, a role with a startup in Chicago as their VP of MarTech. And um, shortly thereafter, we found out we were expecting our son, which was, he was a miracle baby. He just was. And um, when I was six months pregnant, it was the week before Thanksgiving, and the company laid off 20% of the company, myself included. And we'd made the decision for my husband to go back to school. So I was full income and it's like, okay. And I remember at the time that it happened, I was much more concerned about my team and what their exit packages and all that kind of stuff looked like because I knew I had Marketo in my back pocket and that I could go straight into the community. And I did. By the 1st of, of December, it was actually December 3rd, I think, because of the way that the days felt, I had 100 hours of contract work for the, for the month of December already lined up. And Revenue Pulse, when I started talking to them, I was still pregnant. And they actually extended me an offer the week before I was set to deliver wow. Charlie because they were so excited to have someone that was an expert because there aren't that many of us. And so, you know, in as much as Marketo is my happy place, it's also saved my tush, right? Having that skill set in my back pocket to circle back to and dig in on, triple down on, um, was, was a, it was a game changer. It was a life changer for me. Cause if I didn't have that and had been in that same situation, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a cool story. And just the fact is that, you know, there's nothing like learning something where you feel that you're not in a compromised future position. Like I truly feel that if you dig in, you learn a tool like Marketo and you learn how to drive outcomes from it, you are secure. You are completely secure in, if you know, you there's evolving. things you're going to have issues with, but like you yeah. can find. But I have to say, work. if you keep evolving, that's the thing. You have to keep learning additional tools. Get, I mean, I got interested in Invisible in 2017. I became a customer for the first time, and I really started digging in on attribution, and that started a whole new love affair and in a whole rabbit hole that, I, you know, totally different place, right? But, you know, I think there were times in my career where I didn't really want to tackle a new technology. I didn't want to dig in on a new thing. And I, I've come full circle on that now, and now I'm like, yes, give me something new to yeah, dig in on and tear apart figure out, are, right? It's right? Like learn how to use visible and feed them every report they need for their board meetings. <laughs> so cool. But I mean, I think that's the thing. I think the people, the people that are successful in Marketo are partially successful because Marketo is a powerful tool and we need people who understand how to use it. But they're also successful because they are naturally inquisitive, creative, curious people who want to explore and understand and dominate something. And that's where the intersection between the tool and the type of people that fall in love with the tool, I think, happens. I love it. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's an amazing kind of just background. And um, I, I just have one more question, and it's around just dirty data in general, right? If you are going into an instance or you're trying to stand up a, a new Marketo instance, maybe you're an enterprise or or, you know, you have your own instance and it's just been accumulating data over the years. 
you know, I see dirty data as many things. It could be dupes. It could be non-standard, you missing segments. You could be, you know, just non-filled information. Um, you could have, you know, orphans, all types of dirty data. And I'm just wondering, like, what, what are the effects of building your Marketo foundation on a dirty database? Yeah. So, I mean, if you move into a house, that had a hoarder living in it before and you don't clean that place out, you're not really going to be able to live there. And dirty data is the same way. And I think people, they spend a lot of time and money and effort to get those leads, to get that information. And so there's a fear of loss. But sometimes the best thing you can do is just throw it out, right? Clear out the house, make a big pile on the lawn, have a party, light that bonfire, and start fresh, right? There is a litany of ways that you can retain that data that doesn't require it to be in Marketo. Export it before you delete it. Push it over via AdBridge into an ad network and see if they're even there and if you can retarget them to come back in with UTM showing that they responded to a Wake the Dead post-delete, Right. Um, if it's unsubscribed, you can delete it. Marketo will remember them when they come back in and automatically re-unsubscribe them unless they opted in, in which case, woohoo, right? Unless they're a customer, unless there's someone that sales or another part of the business needs, you don't need them. You don't. They're not helping you. Don't keep them. So if 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 somebody does have a company that's willing to in you know with the right case invest in a solution to clean their data, what are the the strings you would tug on for that executive sponsor? Like what, are, what how do you correlate data um, quality projects to asking for budget? Because you know it's not something that the CFO or the CEO or you know approvers are thinking about. So. Yeah. What do you think is the best way to kind of position and ask for something like cleaning your data? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you have to make a, a business case for it. And in this case, you know, I tend to come at things from three, three vantages, right? So it's either a gain, it's a loss, or there's a proof against what I want to do. So if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. Others who have done this saw X happen, right? And two of those are positive and one of them is negative. So I need to understand what motivational language my leadership speaks, right? And frame the message around that for them. So if they're most responsive to a negative value proposition, then that's what I have to use. And if I have a, a breakup on the leadership where some respond to one and some respond to another, I have to show both or all three. Um, I, I try to not use the negative because that's just not, you know, you're, you're trying to do something positive. So you want to be positive about it, but sometimes you have to. And I think that there's a very clear example of, let's say, just break it down, hard numbers, this is the amount of time it takes a salesperson to outreach to somebody that they're handed in Salesforce. And their conversion ratio is X. So if we're handing them 100 leads 
and 50% of them are junk. And we know they're junk because we don't have the information the salesperson needs to even talk to them. And they're going to be automatically disqualified, but still taking that salesperson five minutes to position them. That means that's five minutes they're not spending on something that has a much higher likelihood of converting, right? Or that this wouldn't get automatically rejected if we had the information we needed for them to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to call this person, right? And so when you're thinking about the number of SDRs it takes to disposition what you're sending over, the conversion ratios that they have down funnel from what you're sending them and how those can be improved simply by making process changes and, you know, shifting the way that you are looking at your database and what you have to work with and what you're passing over and when and why. That, from a leadership perspective, if I'm hearing that that's the reason that I need to change the data schema because what I have now is causing a negative impact financially down funnel or we can see improvements down funnel in how the data is used to bring in new revenue, to build more revenue. That to me, I think is going to be enough to make me sit up and go, okay, yeah, I'm listening. Well, that was articulated very well. And and you mentioned you don't like to bring up the niggers. I can tell, I think we can all tell that you have like this winning mentality and, um, you know, very straightforward, smart, uh, honest, and, and you come, I can tell from just, um, you know, great background. So we really want to thank you for, for joining us on the show today. It's a pleasure. And, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to have to have you again uh, at some point so we can bring in maybe some Elliot Lowe or other Marketo champions that we, we, we have near and dear and, and, yeah. and talk a little more tech shop. But we really appreciate the time today, Andy. And, uh, you know, I thought you did amazing. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.